HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's December 15th, 2020. We're recording remotely. This was the last show of 2020, and good riddance to you, 2020. So we're, we're featuring, it's a holiday beers of Be United International, and there's so many really great beers that they import, and this is the time of year to be drinking holiday and winter ale. So let's introduce all our guests. Let's start with Michael. Uh, hi, this is Michael Opolensky from uh, Be United International Importing Company. Uh, companies out of Connecticut. I am located in Brooklyn, New York, one of the New York City and New Jersey managers for the company. That's great. And Justin? Hey, uh, this is Justin Phillips. I'm the founder and owner of Beer Table to Go, a little uh, tiny boutique beer shop in Grand Central Terminal in Midtown Manhattan. Great. Thanks for joining us. And we have a special guest calling in from England, Mr. William Lee. Hi, Jimmy. It's uh, William Lee's Jones, actually. Yep. Great. So thanks. We're all set now. So, Michael, um, we started talking about this uh, in the fall. This is a pretty cool holiday party that we're having. You know, um, we selected a couple of your your top kind of winter ales that, that everyone loves. And just the other day, um, Yepi at Evil Twin was posting about the, the Dola still in Noct. So we've got the Dola. And, of course, you, you, you've got uh, J.W. Lee's Harvest Ales for us. So just tell us, like, set the stage. Let us know what we'll be drinking and what we're going to be talking about at the beginning of the show. Uh, yeah. So we started having a conversation about possibly doing this show maybe two months ago. And I'd sent out an email about some of our more winter minded beers, the higher ABV and like stronger, richer um, beers that we have available in package for, um, you know, for stores and bars as we headed into the colder months up in the Northeast. Um, and that's when you shot me an email. We started getting this idea going for uh, for the show. Um, so as you mentioned, um, we were featuring Stillanacht. I guess I prefer the term winter beer as opposed to holiday beer. It's like these are beers that really will warm you from November through uh, February, not something that necessarily needs to be consumed by December 25th. And um, especially the Harvest Ale doesn't exactly have a holiday spin to it. It's really a beer that's more of like a fall seasonal if you will and something that is to be enjoyed through those winter months and for one who fancies even even beyond um so when we started talking about this show i was um excited to feature an item like the harvest ale and this idea came to me since be united has such a nice backlog of vintage beers and um one of the if not like the um the like paramount hallmark of our vintage portfolio would be the J.W. Lee's Harvest Ale from uh, the J.W. Lee's Brewery in Manchester, um, England. And it's really cool that um, uh, like sucks that we have to do this show remotely, but it gives us a great opportunity to be able to um, have a guest in from England 
um, William Lees Jones, the managing director from the J.W. Lees Brewery uh, in Manchester. Uh, I know he's got some bottles of the 2002 and 2015 Harvest Ale in front of him. We have the same on our end. Um, we all have our own um, bottles and some cans that we can talk about later to taste together. I thought it'd be a really cool idea to do a, a parallel tasting of some uh, of an older vintage, the 2002, with the 2015 of the Harvest Ale. Um, and with that, maybe, um, William, we can give you the stage a little bit to talk about the J.W. Lee's Brewery, maybe the Harvest Ale specifically, how long you guys have been brewing it. I mean, I have a lot of questions, too, about, like, vintaging beers. This also might be a new concept for some of the listeners about um, uh, the idea of aging beers in general. Um, and, like, Harvest Ale is one beer that, like, really is just, like, it favors aging so well um it's almost seems like not worth drinking if it's under four years uh old um so yeah no, no, that's, that's a, a great intro there. yeah let's so let's go to william lee's jones um thank you jimmy and uh thank you for the intro um i i guess the story starts our, our family has um, been brewing beer since 1828 in in manchester and in 1986, uh, my father and our then head brewer, um, the UK brewing was quite different in those days. And um, the UK was sort of getting wowed by uh, some of the beers coming in from Europe. Uh, and these were typically coming from um, uh, East, Eastern European countries, uh, from the Czech Republic. And they, they said, why don't we see if we can brew um, a very, very strong ale uh, with a completely natural fermentation and just brewed the best beer that we could possibly brew with money, no object. And so um, every year, um, we only brew it once. Um, every year we brew it with um, typically Maris Otter malted barley from, uh, from Yorkshire. And it's the first crop of the harvest. And then with East Kent Goldings. And so um, it's, it's a very difficult beer to brew. Um, we boil it in the copper for um, what feels like um, forever. And, um, and then when we package it, um, as we just said, you know, it's technically speaking, um, you know, they say, you know, you, you shouldn't keep a beer. But um, I, think, I think the beers that we're going to be trying later uh, I'd be interested to see what people think of the O2. You think about it, that's that's 18 years old now. I'm expecting it to be uh, perhaps slightly Madeirized, but at the same time, uh, I think it's going to stand up uh, pretty well to the tasting, but it'll have certainly a bit less carbonation. And um, if, if I just jump to the relationship with, uh, with Be United, who are just one of my favorite distributors all over the world, that... Um, just when email first started, I, I got an email from Matthias Needhart saying, um, congratulations, your Harvest Ale is one of the 10 best beers in the world. Uh, could we have exclusivity for the United States to distribute it? And, uh, and we sort of go, well, well, we're not sure about this, but um, we, we don't sell much beer in the United States, so um, let's give it a go. And uh, yeah, I guess that was about 20 years ago, and we've done some uh, really cool things in those 20 years with different variants of the beer. Well, William, uh, just about you. So your name's William Lees Jones. Are you part of the family, the J.W. Lees? Yeah, the, the family, um, it, the Lees family uh, came to an end in 1936. And so my grandfather, who was a Jones he had to incorporate the Lees part of the uh, the brewery's name into his name to um, inherit shares in the business. Uh, he then took the business private in 1955, and I, I joined the business, uh, joining my father and my uncle in uh, in 1994. And my my cousin Michael is now uh, I head brewer. Um, there's uh, just the two of us full time in the business these days. But we're, um, you know, we're, we're an old-fashioned family brewery, and we're very proud of uh, uh, some of the special beers that we brew, like uh, like Vintage Harvest Ale. That's great. Uh, Michael had some good questions to start with, um, and I'm sure Justin does as well. So I'm going to turn the floor over to uh, 
Michael first. He might have a first question for you. And then to Justin. Um, so you said in the early, uh, excuse me, the mid-1980s uh, is when Harvest Hill started. I mean, from what I understand, barley wine isn't exactly like an ancient style in England. It's something that more came uh, slowly into style in like the mid-1950s. Um, as kind of an arm off of old ale from what I understood. Um, and it kind of had a revitalization in, in the U S I guess like generally you could say there's like two wings of the barley wine style, kind of an American scope, which tends to be a little hoppier and England ones, which tend to be more on the maltier side. Um, that's a good question, Michael. I, yeah, let's, so let's have William. So basically you're saying, um, you know, how did you decide on making this a barley wine? And is there a tradition of making barley wine, uh, you know, with your family? Um, yes and no. I think that um, we, we were brewing a, um, um, a beer called Moonraker, which we still brew today. And Moonraker was 7.5%. Um, and, uh, of course, the difficulty with um, a strong fermentation is that we will, we will ferment um harvest ale up to 11 and a half percent it's it's the strongest that you can naturally ferment a beer to before um the yeast starts killing all of the flavor uh and yeah there's a few people sort of messed around by distilling beer and freezing beer and stuff like that to make it um much stronger but um the fact that it's so strong gives us its aging qualities and um the things that we've really enjoyed doing are putting it into different um, oak barrels, uh, infusing those with different uh, spirits, and then um, aging the beer. And like anything that's um, wrapped up in a barrel, uh, as soon as you stop the process, um, you've, you've lost the magic, so to speak. So just getting the timing right um, was really important. Um, but going back to the original question, yeah, I, I'd agree that um, English uh, barley wines tend to be uh, along the multi side of flavours. Uh, and I think one of the things that we kind of owe to North America is the uh, the, the, the hoppiness that um, started coming in with some of the um, early craft breweries. And I think at the time, as, as English brewers, we were sort of going, look, this is this is crazy, the amount of hops that they're putting into the beer. And um, we, we've seen a, an evolution, but um, Harvestale, um, we, we think, has stood the test of time by not messing with the recipe too much. And um, that's why we're able to do things like we're going to do later on uh, just now in terms of the vertical tasting. You know, I, I think we should jump into that. Um... Michael, you want to start us? What, what should we taste first? Should we taste them side by side, or should we taste the younger first or the older first? What, what's a? I mean, I'm used to restaurant life and and wine tastings. Um, how is it, is that the same as beer tastings? I guess here I'd, I think it's best if we do open up side by side, so we can do a proper comparison of one to the other. Um, maybe trying the younger first and leading into the older, but I also defer to William on this if you think the latter, uh, excuse me, the vice versa is better than by all means. Whenever I've done this before, um, I, I like to do it where we, um, we, we we open them at the same time so that we can, um, we can see how they develop because they will develop in the glass over time. Let's do it. Should we get them open? You pop them. And then, uh, Michael, why did you pick the 2015 and the 2002? Was that just based on inventory? So the 2015 I chose, I thought it'd be fun to feature these new cans that um, that we've been doing at Be United. So, like, one thing that our company's kind of shifted a lot of items that were intended for, for draft into can package because of the pandemic, really. So with reduced draft sales, we've repurposed a lot of that liquid for package. Having that canning line at our facilities allowed us to do that, and we just started doing this new line of eight-ounce cans, these like mini stubby cans, um, and mainly featuring stronger beers. So we did one batch of um, 
harvesting Oladoub 18, and we just canned up a series of Harvest Ales. So that would be the one we're drinking today, the 2015, and the new 8-ounce can package. And we also have the full line of the four barrels that William has been mentioning, but we haven't exactly explained what they are. And that would be the Harvest Ale that's been aged in barrels from Lagavulin, um, also aged in port cherry barrels, and then a fourth in Calvados barrels. Um, right. So I thought it'd be fun to feature that one since it's a new packaging of the 2015. And as far as the 2002 goes, um, it's just the oldest vintage bottle we had. So I figure why not dig deep in the cellar and like see how far we can get. Yeah. So William, let, let's uh, just lead us on the tasting. We'll be a, a short tasting, but let's let's get us started and we'll lead, lead, lead to more conversation. Well, the first thing that strikes me is just the um, huge difference in terms of the color of the two beers. Um, the 2002, um, you're really quite dark, and the 2015, uh, still really sort of quite amber. Um, both um, quite different beers, but you can you can see they come from the same family. William, I was wondering, the, you mentioned the length of the boil. Um, are you able to disclose how long that boil goes for? Or is that a family um, secret? No, no, it's, it's not a family secret. Is, it, is this a family show? Or are we allowed to use um, <laughs> slightly blue language? Because uh, I have a technical term that we might um, use. You have my permission, yes. <laughs> Beer family. So the beer family, we, we say that we, we, we like to uh, boil the bollocks off it in that um, when, we put the, um, when we put the hops in, um, we literally want to boil it for um, four or five hours in terms of um, getting the maximum um, amount of sweetness and the maximum um, hop flavor before um, we introduce the fermentation because we know that it's going to be a beer that's going to... Um, uh, stand that test of time and we need to start off with really really strong flavors and so um, one of the other issues that we have uh, is that um, it, it's it's a nightmare to bottle because um, uh, it's got a viscosity that uh, bottling equipment doesn't like and so um, very very slowly down the uh, uh, down, down the filler um, always a lot of sort of stickiness, so to speak. So we kind of make it as difficult as we can for for ourselves. And and the other side of it is that um, because it's the first harvest of the um, of the malt, it's it's literally brewed um, with the samples that the maltsters um, provide for us. Um, it, it's it, it's an absolute um, trial. Uh, for our brewers to um, to just get it absolutely right. So, to answer your question uh, straightforwardly, it's it's between four and five hours. But um, every year is unique, and um, we see how um, how how it's developing in the in the copper. This so that long boil does lead to a bit of like caramelization of those sugars, helps darken the color a bit, and increase like maybe the complexity of those malt flavors. Very much so. Very much so. And then William, so it's a, it's a true vintage beer in that you're you're basing it on the different ingredients that you get each year. Um, how how long? To, just walk us through the process more. So after the boil and everything, what else do you do? You put it in cask. You put it in barrel. What's a typical time frame? You know, we're talking about a beer that we may not see for what four years after it's first made. Oh no, we we'll. Um... Yeah, we'll, we'll brew it in the um, in the autumn, normally uh, uh, beginning of October, and um, the first bottling um, will be traditionally on the first of December. Um, but at that point, um, we'll be putting the beer uh, into cask uh, that's being aged, and um, and then we'll keep. A couple of um, a couple of firkins for some for some beer festivals, uh, and it's one of those things that yeah you're going to a big beer hall and there'll be four or five hundred beers, always always sells out first because everybody wants to say that they uh, they tried it and uh, because we'll only um, provide seventy two pints, only one hundred and forty four people can uh, 
<laughs> have their half pints. So, uh, which is kind of um, defeating the object because re- really, when you're tasting lots of different beers, to start with the one that's going to have the fullest flavour and probably be the strongest by far isn't probably the best way of doing. It. It's a great feeling to be at a beer festival and uh, everybody's queuing up to uh, to try the, um, the the Harvest Ale, ignoring other really great beers. That's great. I'm going to ask J- Justin. Um, I'm sure you have something to say or a question about the Harvest Ales. There's such a myth about these beers. Um, I've had I've been lucky to have several different vintages over the years. Yeah, um, for me, I mean, this is uh, one of the very small handful of beers that that got me into beer. Um, pretty close to this vintage, actually, the 2002, it would have been around 2003, 2004 that I tried it for the first time. And, um, uh, honestly coming from, from being more interested in other beverages beyond beer at that time, um, it was just such a revelation and such an exciting thing to, to try something like this that was way beyond what I thought could happen in the flavor profile of beer. Um, so it's, it's for me always been a pleasure to, do side-by-side comparisons of different vintages of the different barrel matured versions um and to, and to use this always as a special treat in my in my establishments um so you know it's it's just it's a it's a pleasure and an honor to have it always um one of the best treats so william we we you talked about the color of the two different vintages 2015 and 2002 what what should you comment on next i think the first thing is the um there's there's that um, malty caramel flavour, um, almost um, strong raisins and figs and dark fruits like that. Um, I, I I find that e- even in the short time since they they've been open, they've both um, opened a little bit wider and um, don't have the harshness they first had when they went into the glass. And um, I'm both quite different in terms of flavour. I'm I'm kind of erring towards the the 2002 at the moment. I think that's a really extraordinary beer. You know, on, on my end, when we were playing the show, there's always that issue of, to me, there's really great winter beers. And I like that we're going to call these winter beers because this is the time of year I want to drink something like a Belgian quad or a barley wine. And... It seems like too often when you hear the word Christmas beer, it seems like things are added to the beer that that I might never want to drink in a beer at all. Um, uh, so how do you guys go about discussing that when you know when you're selling the beer or you know I don't know is anyone is that, is that worth the conversation winter versus Christmas beer, Justin? Yeah, for me, absolutely. I, I think that. Um, cause, cause so many folks are concerned about packaging and like what's appropriate cause they're trying to give a gift. And, um, you know, I always organize everything in my store, uh, like according to like a meal progression. And this is generally the last beer on the shelf. Um, you know, indicating that this is sort of your nightcap. This is your special treat. This is the thing to share with a loved one. Um, and, uh, you know, to more specifically answer your question, there are so many gimmicky beers out there that have Santa Claus on the label or whatever that, from a flavor perspective, aren't really that interesting for winter or for holiday or anything. Um, but I think this absolutely is. This absolutely like fits, you know, what I'm looking for as an end of the evening uh, delicious last sip. Um, so I always try to sell it that way, um, and and that generally works well for us. And so, in terms of the the beer making, William, when you talk about the flavors of like raisins and this caramels. The, what does that come from? Because we're not just adding raisins and pastry. You know, I'm not, I'm not throwing, you know, coffee cake into my beer. So how do we get those flavors without adding that? Um, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's a very traditional beer. Um, it has no additives. And I think like the, the, the finest wine it's made with the finest raw materials um, absolutely no uh, gimmicks no fancy boxes and 
you know, sort of tipping fruits and things like that into them. I, I think it's just the way that those flavors have been allowed to naturally uh, develop as part of the fermentation and the aging process. And, and, I, and I think that um, one of the things that we learned from the North American market was um, those restaurateurs and, uh, and, and, and bar owners and uh, specialist drink stores that, that were brave enough to, to talk about um, the, the idea of having different vintages and the idea that each one uh, would develop their own flavors because your know, beer um, is a phenomenally complex uh, drink. And, and again, we, we worked with um, uh, Garrett Oliver from, uh, from, from Brooklyn, who uh, will, will put Vintage Harvest Ale up against the, uh, the sort of finest sort of sweet wines and, and ports to drink with um, complex cheese. And, uh, you know, for me, that's where um, it, it, it's a really great beer without any gimmicks. Yeah, he has a really great pairing in one of his, I think his Brewmaster book. Um, it's he takes a barley wine, which I assume was har- your Harvestdale, and pairs it with a Stilton, a good age blue. And I still, I still go back to that whenever someone asks me for a beer, a beer pairing. I'm always like Garrett Oliver's <laughs> barley wine and Stilton. Um, what other pairings will we do? So the holidays are coming. You know, we're celebrating. I'm toast to you guys, toast to Michael and Justin and William. Uh, we've been cooped up, and I, I want a party. <laughs> so what, what could be some other pairing ideas that we could use uh, with these harvest tales uh, in the holiday times? William, you start, and then I'm going to get Justin to give me his input on what he would serve with these. Well, I was going to start. I've, I've actually just found um, Garrett's book on my bookshelf behind me. And... Uh... <laughs> He, Brewmaster's he, table, that's it. Garrett Oliver, Brewmaster. Brewmaster's table, yeah. And um, he, he puts it with Stilton. And I think that like lots of um, uh, strong beers like that, you can put it with something very sweet and you can put it with something very uh, strong in terms of a flavor of a cheese. It, it has to go with something um, where it's either going to complement or contrast uh, the flavors. So, you know, I'm kind of going with, do you eat Christmas pudding in America? I'm the, or is it just an English thing? Well, I've had it with. I have a friend uh, who's Scottish. Have you had it, Michael? The Christmas um, pudding? No, I think I need a little more background about uh, what is. Let, let me just say, like. I'll say to me, Christmas pudding is kind of like a fruit cake that's a little wetter. And uh, what about you, William? What's a Christmas pudding? Yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. And you know, it's um, it's got a lot of orange and um minced meat and uh raisins and you know it's what we what we we only eat it once a year on christmas day it's a bit like uh a bit like haggis you don't uh, you don't want to be eating it every day but um uh, when you do um because it's so sweet it needs something that's um really going to complement it um complement it well and so I, I i'd be going for um a, um, a sweet flavor or indeed a, um, a big cheese. Yeah, I've had the Christmas pudding with, uh, you kind of flambe it with some some kind of uh, brandy or something and maybe with a fresh clotted cream on top or something like that. Um, Michael, what, 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 what would you serve at your holiday meal or tasting with, with these beers? Um. I think the they're so different from one another, which is one thing that we haven't really spoke of too much. Like the just seeing the colors in the glass, the O2 is like a chestnut color, while like the 15 is a deep gold. The O2 is almost lacking of carbonation, while the 15 still has a bit of a fizz to it. For me, the O2, which is like a bit more, um, it has those dried fruits that William's been talking about. I feel like there's even like a little bit of umami flavor to it, bread crust, like touch of um, of soy sauce on the aroma. I, I feel like this one is though a little more like sweet centric with a hint of bitterness on the palate and it might just do well with a really good piece of like 80% cacao chocolate. Just really simple, uh, maybe a, a few different 
like a 75 and 80 and an 85 uh, percent cacao chocolate and, and just playing with the beer that way and how it might pair with these different chocolates. Um, the 2015, on the other hand, still has like some, it's a bit brighter on the nose, uh, even like notes of on the palate of um, orange peel and these orange aromas. I even get some tropical fruit and some yeast esters are still coming out um, of the 2015 for me while the yeast um, more or less is pretty quiet on the O2. Um, in the 2015, I feel like it could live up to a bit more of excitement on the dessert plate, like something along the lines of, uh, I'm thinking like a cream dessert with some aromatics in it. I can't really put my finger on exactly what that might be, but like, um, maybe like a fruit cake with, um, some flavored whipped cream on top, or even like, a um, some sort of like a creme caramel with some orange, uh, so, um, incorporated into the uh into the recipe might work really well with the 2015 that sounds good what about you justin i know you've hosted a, quite a few uh really great uh beer and food pairings in your time yeah i mean things that come to mind from the past that we've done with this that you know have stuck with me um we used to do a, a butterscotch pudding with sea salt um which i think would for me for the for the younger vintage of this would, would still be a really uh delicious pairing uh, just having that little savory component to it i think holds up um we've done a carrot cake with this which i think was also very nice because it had that kind of creamy rich denseness without being overly sweet uh since, since the beer does hold so much sweetness um the other thing that i always do we would run a couple of dehydrators behind the bar we would dry uh, watermelons and tomatoes uh, in the summer and in the winter time, those would be so interesting as sort of like a candied version of something you wouldn't expect to eat dry, um, would hold up really well to a beer like this. Um, and I know that's not, that's, that's not a common thing to do at home, but if anybody ever wants to dry watermelon or tomatoes, it's a really wonderful snack. <laughs> this sounds good to me, man. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere with this. Um, it's, 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 we're not really as it's hard to do a tasting when you can't, you can't taste it. And, uh, it, it, I'm sure it's frustrating for people. So I'm, I'm drinking mine and, and enjoying it. I do love thinking about the, the food pairings of, for this kind of, this kind of beer. Um, what's it like in England, William? Um, are, are you guys, uh, going out in terms of the sales and, and your, and your, your ambassadorship, you know, you, do you guys have pubs? Um, how are you interacting with, with the public or with your, you know, trade customers uh, with this product? Um, at this moment in time, um, the, um, the the government just shut London this evening. So um, we're um, contemplating um, a Christmas and, uh, and a New Year with um, sort of fairly limited um, exposure to pretty much anybody. But... Um, what we've been doing the last um, few months is um, getting used to um, you know, doing things a bit like we're doing now, where we're um, uh, we're talking to people about things without actually being able to uh, uh, see them, which um, means that a lot is taken um, on good faith. And one of the things that's quite sad is that um, we, we've seen a lot of retailers in particular, uh, really cutting back their ranges of more interesting product. Uh, but we've also seen quite a lot of people um, taking to the internet and um, selling uh, memberships of um, things like beer clubs. And so um, that's been pretty good for us because they've run out of um, obvious beers to be um, to be selling people. So it's become a, a very, very dynamic marketplace and uh, one which sadly um, is lacking uh, in bars and pubs uh, because literally 99% of all of our uh, trade is of draft beer, not packaged beer. And Michael, what about you guys at Be United? Uh, you're canning this Harvest Sale 2015. What else are you doing uh, to survive the pandemic? Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, like with our with the infrastructure that like Matthias has built over the last 10 or so years, it's allowed us to be able to pivot pretty quick, um, which has really benefited us um, to try to make it through this challenging time. I mean, a lot of our business was on premise driven um, and we had a lot of 
you know, accounts and, and business in, in the draft world, so filling kegs. Um, a lot of those kegs we filled up using our tank container system, which is how this harvest deal made it to us. Essentially, we're shipping these large tankers that are refrigerated in temperature, or refrigeration is temperature controlled, pressure and temperature controlled. Um, to our breweries overseas, they'd fill up these tanks and they ship them back to us so that we can package them in, in kegs once upon a time, so to speak. And there will be a time again when these things are going into keg. But um, having a canning line on site at our facility in Connecticut has allowed us to pivot. And those beers that were once intended for draft uh, consumption, we were able to then just streamline into a, into a can package. So this Harvest Ale in can is a totally new phenomenon in the, in the U.S. And it's something that now that we have these 8-ounce cans and we've seen the interest, it's something that we can, uh, even beyond the pandemic, something that we plan on continuing to build. Um, and I also think it could be interesting to even do some experiments on like uh, maybe collaborating a little bit with JW Lees, but seeing how the beer might evolve in a can and in a bottle. I mean, I imagine the bottle allows a little more oxygen release through the crown cap, while the can, mm -hmm. I would presume, would be a, a little better at keeping oxygen in and how might that affect aging time. So that might be something fun to play with. Anyway, your question was another one, though. Um, we've no, got... you, you, you went where I was going to go next, but that that has been discussed you know, are, is it worth putting age-worthy beers in cans? I'll tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support us, become a member, and give an end-of-year donation to heritageradionetwork.org. So, we're talking about winter ales with Be United, uh, Michael, and we got Justin from Beer Table, and William Lees Jones from JW Lees in, in London. Um, Michael was just talking about how Be United has pivoted during COVID and started canning um, some of these special beers. So, William, how do you think that this Harvest Ale 2015 and these little eight ounce cans, how will that age compare to uh, what's usually in bottles? Um, do you know, Jimmy, I, I don't know. I, I think it's one of those great questions that um, people for a long time were funny about uh, um, capsules against corks in, in wine. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, of, of can on the basis that, um, you know, because there's going to be no um, light getting into the can, that should be, um, that should be better in terms of its uh, ability to age. And um, you know, let's come back in uh, ten years' time and see uh, see how they fared. I, I saw the pictures that Matthias showed me of the new B United uh, canning line, which looks really cool in terms of uh, you know reinvigorating the um, the format because I like the uh, the small sized uh, stubby cans. I think that um, you know, that's a um, you know, that's an improvement. It's it's a beer. Uh, to be savored, not to be um, uh, drunk too quickly. So I think that the smaller serving size will uh, perhaps introduce it to a completely new audience. And so, uh, you know, I, I want the canning line that Be United have put in, so that we can do the same thing in Europe. Oh, that's great! Um, and Justin, uh, are are you carrying the can, the 2015 can, at your store? 
I do not have them yet. Um, I've been fortunate enough to set aside so many vintages of Harvest Tale that right now I have 2009 on the shelf. Um, we kind of put them up as we feel like we're, you know, when, when we're ready to. So, so for this holiday season, we're doing 2009. So if, if we're in New York city area and we're listening to the show, so the next couple of weeks, we could go to grand central station to beer table to go. And we could pick up, uh, some JW Lee's harvest sale, right? Exactly. Or, or contact me in advance yeah. and I can pull from yeah. ourselves. We have so many different vintages. Wow. That's great. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna switch to the, the next beer, Michael. Um, let's go to Dodola. So we're, we're talking about some of your great winter beers. Uh, just last, just the other day, uh, Yepe at Evil Twin posted a, a picture of a large bottle of Stella Knox from Dodola. It got a lot of a lot of really great um, feeling. I know Justin. I think that's why you came on. I know you're also a huge fan of the Dodola, like the Ore beer and uh, the, the other ones. So, Michael, give us a little intro to uh, Dodola. And why we picked that today as well. And William, stay on with us because we're going to go back and still talk about your Harvest Ale. Uh, Dodole, it's a um, tiny brewery out of Essen in Belgium, which is kind of in southern central Belgium. Um, tiny operation um, run by a bit of a, a madman named Chris. Um, that's a great name for a madman. <laughs> yeah, Chris with a K, though. That's how it gets mad. Chris. Right? Chris, with a K. Chris. Um, so where to start? They um, they opened 40 years ago. In fact, um, we just released a 40th anniversary beer of theirs. Um, he is working out of this really old brewery. Uh, they purchased a brewery that was built in the 1920s. A lot of the equipment is still the 1920s equipment. They're operating with a copper cooler ship. Um, open fermenters that are um, built out of cement. That's like the the uh, malt um, grinder is an ancient and massive piece of equipment, um, and they're also using an open Baudelaire cooler. And so what that means, if, if people are familiar with brew houses, is usually post um, post boiling, the beer passes through a heat exchanger on its way to the fermentation tank to drop the beer from boiling temperature down to more like uh, around 20 degrees Celsius for fermentation. This is usually done in, in modern breweries anyway, in an enclosed system. So once the beer leaves the um, boiling kettle, it never really comes in contact with oxygen. While a, uh, a Baudelaire cooler is like an external heat exchanger, like imagine that the beer is coming from the hot boiler, or in the case of Dodole, the cool ship, and it's poured into a trough. The trough then drips along a corrugated wall um, and in the interior of this corrugated wall, the brewery is running through cold water. So it's the same concept as a heat exchanger, but the beer is actually coming in contact with the air. It then lands in a trough at the bottom and then heads it on its way to a, um, to a fermentation tank. Um, the only place I've ever seen that in the United States is at OEC. Yeah, is I that... would say that our... our um, it's kind of an homage and the inspiration for that piece of equipment. Um, comes from Dodole. Oh, that's great. Well, let's go to Justin. So, Justin, in, in your uh, your career, you know, you've been inspired by some of these beers. Tell us about uh, your Dodola inspirations. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. Because some of us do. Some of us do dream about. We dream about great beers. Many of us do, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, um, Dodole is one of those beers that, um, and I can say the same thing about J.W. Lee's and the Harvest Ale that it's one of those beers that you know blind from a distance. I mean, you open the bottle and from five feet away, you know you're smelling a Dodol beer. And that's one thing that I've always loved about it is it has such a distinct character. Um, and uh, all of them, they, they, they share some commonalities in, in their aroma um, and texture uh, that I've always just found um, so special. So uh, just like the Harvest Ale, it's something that, you know, I, I hoard <laughs> as much as I can uh, so that we can sell them slowly over the years to folks who really care. It's never something I'm going to push on anybody, but it's something that I, I, I really feel like anybody who gets excited about beer, uh, no matter how new they are to it, I would really love for them to try these things. So I should reach out to like info at beer table.com. Sure. If I really want to try some of these beers and m make sure that I let you know, right? Yes, and yeah, and, and as far as the dole goes, I just like the Harvest Dale, I keep them back to probably about 2007 is my oldest, is my guess. 
Yeah. So, William, like, th these are special beers, and I know that, you know, definitely in the last 10 years, you know, in America, the, the craze for American craft beer has really taken over, but uh, for, seems like all of us in this room, our, our roots were classic Belgian, I mean, Belgian and English and German beers uh, from Europe. Um, what do you want to say about that? Like, this is, because this is a winter time. I'm trying to go somewhere with this, and I'm not sure where, but I love these beers, too. Um, how can we share our enthusiasm with, with other craft beer fans? Maybe that's a good question. Um, it's, it's a really great question. I, I remember um, when I was much younger um, going traveling in Europe. I was 18. It was 1982. And I worked in a bar that sold um, probably 50, 60 different beers. And they were um, – selling a lot of the classic uh, Belgian beers and uh, German beers and Czech beers. And, and it was something that we didn't really have um, in the UK at the time. But at the same time, there were some famous English beers that were um, being recognized. And so um, over the last however many years, um, however old I am, nearly 40 years, um, I, I think we've seen this sort of global uh, revolution in terms of um, of breweries, and I think one of the great things that has happened all over the world is that um, we've just got some really, really great brewers who are starting new breweries, uh, challenging um, the norm. But then we keep coming back to places like England, uh, Belgium, um, Germany, um, Czech Republic, and the, the the classic beers, the ones that aren't just sort of following, you know, the, the, the herd that, you know, in the UK at the moment that, um, you know, the, the last thing that we want is more uh, American style IPAs brewed in uh, British breweries, because actually we'd, we'd rather import the great ones from um, the United States. So I think that we have this fabulous global brewing community um, that's just bringing out better and better beers. That's great. And Michael, tell us about Still the Noct. Why Still the Noct? Um, how is this different from some of the other beers like or beer that the Dola makes? Oh, sure. Well, um, still the night means uh, silent night in Flemish. Um, and it's the winter seasonal from, um, from the Dola brewery. So 12% alcohol is pretty strong brewed with, um, uh, as often these strong Belgian beers are, uh, with, uh, white candy sugar, uh, mainly golden malt. Um, I can't pull the hops that they use off of the top of my head, though I think we have it written on their website. Pardon me for not having that one on hand. But um, it's like one of these classic Belgian winter warmers. What's awesome about it compared to others is it still is like pretty bright um, on the palate. It has some like acidity. The balance in this beer, despite its gravity and 12% and ABV, is uh, I think what makes this beer so special. Um, you know, these notes of... Um, like pastry these apple notes have come out it is pretty boozy it's like certainly warming as it goes down um but uh yeah i think a, one of our classic winter warmers in our entire portfolio and you know it sent me in so talk about canning um another didola so there's this new xl pale ale that you sent me in a can tell me about yeah. that because i always think of didola as as the stronger beers but this is only 6.5 percent yeah, so um, they just celebrated their 40th anniversary uh, in November, I think, was the, the beginning of November. I want to say the third, if I remember correctly. I'm sorry if I screwed the date up, though. Again, that's what I'm pulling out of memory here. I don't have it written down. Um, they celebrated the 40th anniversary of the first batch at the brewery. So they wanted to brew something that was a one-off and something a little different from their usual line. You mentioned the Aura beer. Uh, that is like an eight or nine percent. Um, I guess if you were to put it in a style, it'd be somewhere like a Belgian dark strong ale. The Ara beer too is one of their classics, more of like the prototype of the Belgian IPA. That one is seven percent and up. Um, so they were looking to brew something a little different from their classic beers. So a lower ABV, and uh, we were talking to them about it, and they decided to send us instead of their usual bottles 
um, they sent us the beer in a tank and we canned it at our facility in Connecticut. So again, something that we're a little off the beaten path for Dodol, which is something that you're usually seeing in bottles, especially because of generally their beers are quite high in carbonation, um, which maybe the can wouldn't support too well a beer like Stillenacht. I don't think it would really translate that well into that package. But uh, with the XL, I think it worked out really good. It's dry hopped with... Um, I think it's East Kent Goldings, but I'm sorry if I screwed that one up. I should have that on hand, too. And um, they also use bitter orange peel in it as well for flavoring. Um, I was a big fan of this beer. I thought it really translated into can well. And it was a fun way to celebrate the um, 40 years uh, of the brewery. So last thing. So, William, you, you guys, sum it up for us. Uh, J.W. Lee's, you're still relevant. You're, you're making these harvest ales that, that we in the States clamor for. Um, Give us a toast, a Christmas toast. How about that? Jimmy, that's very kind of you. My, my toast is um, to, um, to retailers like Justin uh, for having the belief to um, be pushing the boundaries in terms of what they're selling and to um, people like Michael and Matthias and the team at Be United for um, uh, believing in our beers and, uh, and taking them to the uh, – to the, the great people of, um, of the United States. And so um, thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I've actually um, really enjoyed um, tasting the two beers next to each other. So thank you for the privilege of, uh, of joining you. And uh, I wish you and your families all the very best for 2021. And it can't be as bad as 2020, trust me. Well, cheers to that. And uh, Justin, anything else you want to say before we close out? No, I'm just so grateful to hear all of you. It's, uh, it's nice to, to be in touch with people from other places at the, in this moment and, uh, and to share, share really special beers together. It sure is. And, Michael, thank you so much for helping to organize the show. Really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to keep savoring these beers all night. Still a knock, last thing. Uh, one more thing to tell us about Still a knock, Michael. One more thing to tell about Still a knock. Should I just drink that before I go to sleep? It's um yeah it's a, it's a heavy one. It actually I think goes really. I never would have thought to do it, but put, uh, drinking it side by side with the 2015 is really fun. They have like some interesting um, cross. Uh, they they go very well together. Um, they they pair up pretty well side by side. Though they would take a make sure you have a couple partners to do that because they're two heavy boozers. And I'll just give you guys a shout out. You know, m- many of our industry friends know Be United International. If you're a consumer and you don't. Look them up, Be United International in Connecticut. Um, their lineup of beers is stellar, and especially for this time of year with these great winter ales. You guys, thank you so much for joining me. We're actually going to have one more session, so we're, go- we're going to say goodbye to you guys. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back uh, to announce a special Broadway beer project uh, here on Beer Sessions Radio. So see you guys later. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Thank Jimmy. you. Hello, this is Gay McCallan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview extraordinary women in the world of food and wine. And I've expanded this season to create Giving Broadly, a website devoted to amazing products by extraordinary women entrepreneurs. Check it out for great gifts and ways to amp up your cooking this season. That's givingbroadly.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is our special end of 2020 holiday episode. We just talked with some great folks from J.W. Lee's Brewery in England and Be United International and Beer Table, and we tasted uh, some of our favorite winter ales like the Dola Stillenacht and Harvest Ale uh, from J.W. Lee's. But jumping ahead, you know, this has been the shittiest year ever, and we all agree with that. We're jumping ahead to 2021 because we're going to end this year with hope for the new year. And there's been so many great uh, collaboration projects, including the All Together Beer and, um, you know, quite a few others, Black is Beautiful Stout, that um, Dave Lopez from Gun Hill uh, gave me a call and told me about what, what's new is going on so dave give us a quick intro to your new project it's called curtain up
So it, it's actually really uh, the, the Happy Hour Guys project, and, and they actually approached, approached me about it, and first not even in the uh, capacity that we're currently operating in. So I'm going to throw it to them so they can talk about their project first, and then I can jump in with how we got involved. Okay. Who wants to take it, Jimmy or Mark? I'll start off. So Jimmy, uh, I'm Jimmy Ludwig. Mark Aldrich and I are the Happy Hour Guys, and we are Broadway actors who have a show about beer and and lots of other things too, but mainly lately about craft beer. And we decided to get our show connected to the Broadway community. So we started what we call the Broadway Brews Project. And that was taking really hit Broadway shows and pairing them up with a brewer and creating a one-off beer for charity. And our first big collaboration was actually with Gun Hill. They did the Hamilton beer, Rise Up Rye, uh, a couple of years ago. And Mark and I had gotten to our fifth Broadway brew and we were about to complete the Broadway six pack when, Mark? When 2020 happened. Basically, so uh, so we were narrowing it down to uh, to our sixth and, and final uh, beer in the Broadway Brew six pack, and uh, everything stopped. And uh, like everyone else, it took us a little bit to get our feet back under us and to figure out what our way forward was. And when we looked around, we realized that all of our colleagues and all of our friends and our family in, in the live entertainment industry uh, were were going through it uh, hard. The industry's been shut down for over nine months. Uh, that means people are losing. Not just the finances, but but they're losing uh, their mortgages, they're losing their health insurance, they're losing uh, pretty much everything you can lose. So we took a look around and said this this last one, this last Broadway brew, has to be the biggest and best one, and we want it to benefit everybody who's being hurt in our industry uh, by by the pandemic this year. And uh, we we went to Dave at Gun Hill because we'd had such a positive experience on the Hamilton beer with him. And we wanted to pick his brain about what it was like to make the Black is Beautiful beer um, to find out how we could be successful moving forward. And much to our delight and surprise, uh, Dave made it clear that he actually wanted in on it. He wanted to be the, the brewery that created the recipe. And boy, are we glad and lucky that he did. And I'm gonna turn it over to Dave Lopez now. Great. So, yeah, so, I mean, these, these guys, they asked me if we could talk just to, to see what our experience had been with Black is Beautiful, and I, I felt uh, very strongly about this project, um, both just because I, I know how important it is to not just the, the people who work in, in the bar and brewing industry as well, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap between the entertainment industry and, and the hospitality industry, but also as a as a New Yorker, as a native New Yorker, I felt very strongly about this because all I've done over the last nine months is hear about how New York City is dead and how everybody is moving away. And I, I wanted to really try and, and help be a part of something to prove that, that it's not and also try and, and help build back uh, up what once was. So I, I felt that this was definitely a, a way to, to begin that process on both ends. So, so far, who, who's involved in it and wh- what's like the basic recipe? Just to get, we're only going to say a few words about this. Um, who wants to take that? Go ahead, Dave. So, so, so the, idea, the idea for the recipe, and, and this was something that when we were talking about it that I felt very, very strongly about, was that it had to be something that would be easy for breweries to sell because we want to get as many breweries involved as possible. Easy for breweries to sell. We wanted to come up with a base recipe that was also going to be affordable for breweries to make so that they could also still be able to charge a premium so that they could also make money themselves. Because that's a key component of this is that we need to make sure that everybody in, in, the, in the beer industry is, is benefiting from this too, because by no means are, are any of us out of the woods either. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a hazy IPA, six and a half, around 6.5%. Our version came in at 6.5% uh, because... We want it to be in that sort of sweet spot where people can feel free to enjoy as much of it as they can. Um, what we, the version that we have, um, is it's predominantly citra hops. Um, it's a tri- it's a triple dry hop beer. And then what we're encouraging everybody to do is sort of just take take their own spin, whether it be from the hop bill. I was just talking with somebody yesterday who's changed, actually. There's a lot of flaked oats in it. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's changing it and, and decreasing the amount of flaked oats and also changing it from triple dry hop to just double dry hop and increasing the, the, the hops uh, in, in the second dry hop. 
Um, so we're, we're really trying to make it as open-ended and easy as possible for everybody to get involved with the recipe. So who, who are some of the breweries that are already involved? So we're going to be back on February 16th. We're going to record a full show about the Curtain Up beer project. So we're going to stay tuned for that. But what are a couple of breweries that are involved right now? Uh, well, right now we have 36 breweries in nine different states. Um, and coming up next week, I believe Big Alice will be uh, releasing theirs. Um, and then in the first week of Jan- January, it looks like Wolf and Warrior Brewing in White Plains is going to be releasing theirs. And Destination Unknown out on Long Island is going to be releasing theirs early in January as well. So Jimmy and Mark, you, you guys, I can't believe you're on your, your sixth uh six beer project already i remember when you came in with hamilton and we were so excited um how do you go about this are you guys on the streets talking to people or, or you know um h- how have you kept this going for for six beers now <laughs> well we uh we we like to say um the happy hour guys aren't viral uh we're fungal which means we move very slowly and we're basically unkillable we just don't stop so <laughs> Um, we've, we've never really given up on the project. We've let it, we knew it was going to take as long as it was going to take. And there are tons of logistics to get dealt with. And under this circumstance, it's not quite the same deal just because we put up this open source website and sort of said to everybody, Hey, come on and do it. But, you know, we're having to try to get the word out in any way we possibly can. And um, we've had a big press release go out and the Actors Fund, which is the, the main charity that we're raising money for, they're helping us out quite a bit. And we should say a word about the Actors Fund, actually, which is, you know, all of live entertainment is hurting right now, not just not just actors. And the Actors Fund takes care of everyone from musicians to circus performers to film workers to backstage tech to everybody. And it's it's in the form of direct direct grants to people. If you if you reach out to them and say, I gotta pay my rent on Tuesday, you'll have a check on Monday. They're those kinds of people. And in addition to the Actors Fund, um, we're encouraging uh, breweries to adopt a local arts group in their hometown, wherever they may be, because theaters, concert venues, uh, every arts organization around the country is hurting right now. So we're we're trying to make sure that there's a central uh, charity to, to benefit, but we want to make sure that, that this project reaches into the hometowns of everyone across the country. In fact, uh, thinking about your, your previous guest, we just had a, uh, a request from someone to look into trying to get it to cross the pond and, and do something over in London for the Actors Benevolent Fund over there, which is sort of the equivalent of the United States actors fund well that's great you know the whole connection between you know actors and the arts and theater and hospitality you know for for, forever when you didn't have a gig on stage you you picked up a a a waiter shift or a bartender shift and even that shut down this is nuts i i i hate this year but we're glad we're ending with a note of positivity i just want to say this you know being in the in the, the industry hospitality events restaurants I didn't think COVID was going to be that bad until I heard that Broadway was closing. Because for me, New York is like, you know, it's the show must go on and the city that never sleeps. And when Broadway started saying, we're going to be closed till June, we're going to be closed now to 2021. You know, that 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 does represent a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, everyone that we know is out of work who has anything to do with any of these fields. And sadly, right now all the restaurants in, in New York City, the indoor dining has been closed. So thank you guys so much for doing this. And again, we'll be back in February. We're going to do a full show on this, which you guys deserve. And um, appreciate you guys coming in. This is the, the last thing we're going to say for 2020. <laughs> Each of you gets a, the final word. Davey, last thing for 2020. Go to gunhillbrewing.com, go to beer delivery, and go and order this this curtain up beer because part of every beer that you buy is going directly to help people in, in both uh, the arts and live entertainment. And Jimmy, final word for 2020. Uh, I would say, first of all, 2020, I won't miss you. Get the heck out of here. And I can't wait for 2021 because it's going to be the return of Broadway and hopefully a whole lot more Curtain Up Beer and us helping out a lot of people. And there's a license on Instagram too, right? It's what, at Curtain Up Beer? Yep. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can go to our website at thehappyhourguys.com. You can go to curtainup.beer. You can go to a lot of different places and it'll you'll find your way to Curtain Up. All right. And Mark? Uh 
I will say, uh, yeah, please visit us at uh, curtainup.beer. Support your local breweries, support small business. Let's take care of each other. 2020 is on the way out, and uh, we're going to get through this together. You're here. We're going to get through it, guys. You guys are so awesome. Thanks for joining me, Mark, Jimmy, and Dave from the Curtain Up Beer Project. And our main guests earlier, we had William, Justin, and Michael talking about uh, the Be United beers like Harvest Ale from J.W. Lee's and Adola Stillenock. Thank you so much. Thanks to our engineer, Matt Patterson, and our intern, Caroline Fox. We will catch you next time in 2021 on Beer Sessions Radio here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See you guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Syndicast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.